Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Well, here we go again. Another week, another show. This is episode number 87. I was looking at that going, wow, we are careening toward episode 100 very, very fast. And that's going to be happening uh, late September. And I'm realizing I need to start figuring out now what I want to do. Because I want to do something special, but I have no idea what. But anyhow, that's the future. Let's focus on the now. This week, I've got Megan Maroney returning as my guest. I love Megan. I love any time I get to ever see or perform or just hang with her. And uh, you will recall she did the adoption episode, season one, episode 10. And that's where we both shared our own individual adoption journeys, as it were. And it's a really good show. One of my favorites, actually. So if you haven't heard that, I, I highly recommend going back and listening to it. Uh, another bit of news before we get started is that last week, you recall, I started bemoaning the fact that the Roku channel had stopped carrying the facts of life. Well, they're back now. But it's only seasons one to three and seven through nine. So I, I, I'm just like, what, what, what is happening? <sighs> anyway, so they're there but they don't do us any good right now because we're still in season five. So at the moment, we're just going to keep sticking, stay the course, uh, stick with going to dailymotion.com. That is the one constant in this world of ever-changing variables. Now, I want to welcome a new Tutti Fruity into the fold, Paul P. Want to know a secret? That's Paul Padilla, former guest of the show. Yeah, I texted him. I'm like, why did you join the Tootie for what you give me your time and your talent? You're a guest on the show. You don't have to sponsor the show and send me money. And he was just like, nope, I want to do it. I want to support you. So a uh, very special shout out to Paul and uh, looking forward to having you back on the show as well. If you want to be a Tootie Fruity like Paul, you can go to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. So this week... Megan and I watched Season 5, Episode 8, I'm Dancing as Fast as I Can, which had an original air date of November 9th, 1983. Are you ready to jump on in? I know I am. Let's face the facts with Megan Maroney. Ladies and gentlemen, back for her return engagement. It took another year and a half to find an episode equally as perplexing as the adoption one that we did back from season one. It is the amazing Megan Maroney. Yay, thanks for having me back. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome, Woo. my dear. We had, this is quite an episode, isn't it? Uh, it is. Um, I will say one of the things that uh, surprised me on this rewatch just in the same way it did on the first one that we did, is realizing that these are better actors than I 
gave them credit for in mm -hmm. my brain. Oh, um, okay. You know, like when I would think about it, I'd be like, oh, wow, everything was so heightened. And it is. But I'm like, oh, no, these people, Nancy McKeon can act. And, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Lisa Welchill can act. And at this point, um, you know, Judy and Natalie, I'm like, they're very settled into what they're doing. And it, and yes, both of those women can act as well. But they're still the most heightened, Judy and yes. Natalie. Um, and and you caught them so, so early. I mean, oh, we did literally absolutely. the 10th episode. Nobody yeah. really had any clue what they were doing. They were finding their way. And at so, that point, only Lisa uh, Weltel could act. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. Girls, where I was like, oh, she's actually making choices. She's she's good. Mm -hmm. Oh, so. yeah. No, Lisa Weltel, <laughs> she's, she's the bomb, man. So we had already established when you were here last time that you had watched the show somewhat but not a lot lot, correct? Yeah, because I'm not really a sitcom person, as we had discussed. I would, in in that particular, in the era of the 80s, I would have been much more likely to be watching Love Boat or Fantasy Island or, you know, than any, even though those certainly had their comedic moments. Um, yeah. But I was not a, I'm, I've never really been a sitcom person. Mm -hmm. Like, like Frasier and Sports Night and... The Cheers. Office. The Office, you know, and even both both English and American. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's it's very rare that a sitcom holds me because mm -hmm. I, the IT crowd uh, from, uh, from England, I will yes. watch at the drop of a hat. But uh, yeah, so even as, even as a child roughly the same age as the, as the women on the screen, mm -hmm. I was like, Nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you go live your lives and yeah, experience exactly. your teenage rites of passage. I'll be doing it on my own over here. It kind of, yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, Megan and I have just watched season five, episode eight. And can you believe it's been a year and a half? And mm -hmm. so uh, in the year and a half since you and I met, we've gone from we're basically we're four years later. We were season one, episode ten. We're season five, episode eight. We've we have advanced quite a deal in in, right. in this short period of time. Time actually did. I, I talk about the time machine. I'm going to be sending my notes to the writers back in. I think we're already <laughs> somehow messing with the space time continuum. I, uh, my my work has begun. So we watched. I'm dancing as fast as I can. The original air date was November 9th of 1983. It was directed by Asad Kalada, the man who directed the majority of the Facts of Life episodes. We've discussed him quite a deal. Now, this was written by a man named, I believe it's pronounced Jim Gohan, G-E-O-G-H-A-N. That sounds like an Irish name. Gohan, would you say? It could be Gogan. Uh, yeah, it, it is probably Irish. Yes, based yeah. on that. I'm going to say Jim Gohan or Jim Gogan, one of the mm -hmm. two. But this is his only episode of Facts of Life that he uh, writes at, uh, at all for the show. But he also did do some writing for Silver Spoons and Mama's oh. Family. Okay. And then he would go on to being a supervising producer on shows like Amen and various producing and executive producing credits on Family Matters. Okay. And then 
he keeps on moving up here. He created and executive produced The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody on the Disney Channel. <laughs> All right. And, of so, course, its sequel series, The Sweet Life on Deck. So, so he's he's done well through the decades. He's he fine. has. He's his house is his, paid for. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, he's making his residuals, yes. And, uh, yes. And uh, one other thing to point out is we do not have Pamela Siegel slash Pamela Adlon in the opening credits. Uh, for those who have been listening steadily, you know that makes me happy because they were trying to add this 13-year-old character into the show she's sometimes there she's sometimes not this is an episode where she's not there good because i don't like it gotcha (laughs) (laughs) anyhow we have uh the episode um so before we get into my typical microscopic dissection megan i always like to ask my guest if you would please just off the top of your head give us a one to two sentence short synopsis of the episode similar to what you might read in a tv guide uh, a surprise party for Mrs. Garrett goes wrong when Blair realizes her boyfriend has a secret he's been keeping from her. Oh, yes. And no spoilers. That, that way, no spoilers. I try very hard to be yes. no spoilers. <laughs> yes. Intrigue with no spoilers is is definitely the way to go. That's That's a win. Absolutely. So we are ready. To get into this and um we have from frame one it was like okay i'm gonna watch the episode i'm gonna take notes and it's like the first frame oh gotta write it did you see the bad start did you see the the bad false start of them walking down the stairs no i didn't catch that that's hysterical it's like they faded in just a few frames too early and it's clear they were standing on the landing and, you, you know, uh, they say action, action. And then they begin to come down the stairs. It's like you couldn't have had them back up a couple of stairs and be already <laughs> in the process of walking. But anyway, that's just the of the many silly little minute things that I notice and go, hmm, you're professionals. I expect better of you. But basically, Tootie and Natalie are bugging Joe. They are the ones on the stairs descending, and they are dying for Joe to tell them where are they taking Mrs. Garrett for her birthday. It's this big secret. Mm -hmm. And Joe divulges that she's taking her to Wedgwoods. And the girls are like, oh, oh my God, you're going to Wedgwoods. What is Wedgwoods, Megan? Uh, First of all, uh, it is the worst named uh i'm like i get it i do get the joke that chippendales is a high-end uh uh (laughs) status furniture place uh Mm -hmm. furniture designers and that uh wedgwood is high status china uh and and uh dining services Uh, however that was that was lame that was a lame Uh, parallel to draw and, I mean, you could go as far as to say, well, you know, a sexual euphemism could be, oh, I'd love to wedge my wood into that. Yeah, that's, Ew. I think, far too clever than what we ended up with. Um, but I'm so glad you said that because I, I could not agree more. I'm like, that's the best name for, for this racy, oh, my God, play Wedgewood. <laughs> well, that was the thing. It's like you're taking her to Wedgewood, and I was like, oh, my God, is it really expensive? Is this going to be awkward? No, yeah. it's a it's a place where men dance in their underwear. Okay, 
I mean, I get yeah. it's the eighties and this was a thing, but yeah. Yes, it was, <laughs> and, and fairly fairly new. I mean, they had existed, but it kind of was going a little bit mainstream with the whole uh, vanity culture. With the let's get physical, right. more bust dudes were turning up in in pop culture and movies and stuff now here's the th- curious thing they refer to it from minute one as a male strip joint yes and we come back to this regularly throughout the episode about you were stripping you were taking yes. your clothes off and nothing i saw there indicated that they went the full monty and that there was full-on no. nudity there no it, it clearly never does as as chippendales didn't that was the thing it was it was all about look i'm basically gonna go down to a smaller bathing suit for all intents and purposes by our own observation and by network Mm -hmm. television standards they are not stripping down and putting their dicks in women's hands and stuff it's not right it's not this is a class trashy joint and, well, uh, and you look at the extras, which was one of my favorite things to do in the in the scenes, and it's like there's a ton of grannies in there. Yeah. There is, you know, uh, it is not it is it is not a tawdry place. And, no. You know, like the guys who are serving are super hot, and you know, it's it again, it's not a dirty place. It's no, no, clearly. It's- it's clearly titillation. And I mean, even, uh, and I love that Natalie is given this throwaway joke, um, but she has that great joke of, uh, or nod about, you know, it's, we're, it, men have been objectifying women for years. Now it's time for us to do the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. by objectifying them. And it's like, that literally was the mindset in the 80s. It was like, meh, you go to strip clubs. Yeah, absolutely. And And, and yours are tawdry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's it. (laughs) Not to slam the workers. They are providing a service for which they are paid. Mm -hmm. And I support them. But yes. Yes, I will also go on record with you as far as uh, the the people who do the work in these clubs. We are 100% behind them. It is a gig economy. Mm -hmm. And our jobs, Megan, are not that dissimilar. Nope. We are, we are uh, as actors, we are paid to be someone's perception of what they want to see. And mm-hmm. that is exactly what people who work in the sex industry, their job is to be something that someone else thinks they are. It's, yes. It's exactly the same work. Yes. <laughs> in- including our job can often involve taking our clothes off. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Depending on the show, You're, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they're doing uh, that. My perception is that they make more money. So good on them. <laughs> yeah. Someone in the industry is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so Mrs. Garrett comes in from the store. It's quitting time. We we don't see the store at all in this uh, setting, the Edna's Edibles. Now, you were aware of the Edna's <laughs> Edibles years versus the Eastland mm-hmm. years. No, I had full-blown... Uh, I literally stopped watching this show after the first season, if if, if I watched it at all. Oh, like, so did I know, this location... Did, did, you, did you start I'm with a, not, where am I? Well, I knew that at one point Edna had gotten a store. Um, but I did spend, and I was going to ask you anyway, I did spend a lot of the show going, 
why aren't those children in school? And why are the two older ones hanging out here now? Why haven't they gone on to live their lives elsewhere mm -hmm. like normal people do in school? Like yeah. if, if there was no school tethering them together, I have no idea why Tootie and Natalie were there. And if one is 15, how is she allowed to work in Edna's shop? Oh, yes, right. Because that's actually a violation of child labor laws. She has to be 16 to be working. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Now, we do have parental approval. Mrs. Garrett, of course, wouldn't do anything that okay. was not above board. All right, of course. And uh, just so you know, this is one of the problems I have with these two seasons that are the Edna's Edibles years before we get to the three seasons with the Spencer's Gifts Shop and Cloris Leachman and that Michigan. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But my thing is that Tootie and Natalie are students at a boarding school. That's what I was just going to say. I'm like, don't they not live in this town? They commute <laughs> I mean, from this yeah. place where it's like, you know, you could not have to work at a gourmet food store that you <laughs> live behind if you just went back to your dorm. And I mean, this is how yeah. strong the bonds of their friendship are, allegedly. Yeah, it's just weird. But Blair and Joe's circumstance makes a little more sense because they are in college. There happens to be an Ivy League college in, you know, another fictional school in this non-fictional town of Peekskill, New York. And so Blair and Joe were having issues with their living arrangements right at the same time as Mrs. Garrett was given this opportunity to have the store. Okay. Now, we don't address the fact that Blair is allegedly rich AF and could yeah. just buy a damn house. Right. But... Whatever. They're back we know to that. Her, we know her home life is hell. Maybe somebody's <laughs> trying to teach her a lesson. <laughs> you can't make it on your own, Blair. I can. I'll live with Mrs. Garrett. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, yes, you your confusion is 100% founded being dropped in the middle of this show now if you had no knowledge of the school years that initially mm -hmm. is what connected them all to watch this, it's like, so this is about four girls and an older girl who <laughs> exactly. live and work in a place. What an original idea for a network sitcom. <laughs> right. Oh, it, which, it by the way, Edna's Edibles does not age well as a name <laughs> for the store. It is, however, perfect for a reboot if they oh. ever want to bring Facts of Life back. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Arter says... Every episode is better if you watch it through the lens of this is not a gourmet food store. It's a drug front. Yeah. That, <laughs> Just look that at it like that and opens up new worlds of enjoyment. He is 100% correct. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. But who in that day, who in the 80s ever imagined oh. that the word edible would be taken into a whole different realm? Absolutely. They were just like, no, nah, this works well. That's two yeah. E's next to each other. Yeah, it's so. illiterate. Yeah. Yeah. So Natalie and Tootie take this moment to give Mrs. Garrett her birthday present. It's mm -hmm. like, why would you not wait until Blair was there? There's this special thing happening later, this secret that, you know, they're taking her to the strip club that she doesn't know about. So I guess it's that whole thing of, well, let's do it now. Anyway, yeah. it's interesting for how sitcoms love pageantry and <laughs> moments and presentational type stuff like this. It is interesting they didn't give this that moment like waiting for Blair and the boyfriend to come in. Right. Just right. 
throw that out there. It's not wrong or bad. It's just like, oh, interesting. Uh, that's a trope I would have expected that they didn't give me. We have a tired bit with the old person picking away at the wrapping paper and the young person going, I can't stand it. And Natalie rips the paper mm-hmm. apart. And that becomes a callback. And if you didn't see that coming a mile away, well, you weren't <laughs> watching. That's right. my assessment. That, gift- that statement is true of the entire episode, however. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. anyway. <laughs> I love to- everything could be, yeah, facts of life. Yeah. If you didn't see it coming. Uh, in this episode, especially, I was like, yeah, the moment he was like, medical school is expensive. I was like, yep, got it. Know where this is going. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, yes, and perfect uh, timing. After the girls give uh, Mrs. Garrett her gift, it's a homemade, uh, foglily painted apron that says it has a, an insulting caricature of her on it. <laughs> and it says, quiche me, you fool. Which is, that's that's about, that's on brand. That's about how cheesy she in the shop is. That's actually, that works for me. But she loves it. So she's all excited. Tuli and Natalie, bravo, good birthday gift. You're off the hook now. Mm-hmm. Then in comes Blair with the boyfriend. This guy, Cliff Winfield. Now, <laughs> we have to stop and talk about this guy and the actor. First of all, this is one of the many times we have a boy appear on the show attached to one of the girls and it is like they have been together for months and months and things are always really serious there's Mm -hmm. a sense of seriousness about it even though we've never fucking seen the guy before also don't forget that they give him uh years of history with mrs garrett because he goes it's all those times you gave me a free lunch when i was in school yeah. And it's like, oh, so this guy's just been off screen for the past five years? Yeah. <laughs> At or, a girls' boarding school? <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I just took that to mean that in the time that I've been dating Blair, all the free lunches you've given me from from the oh, show. I, I didn't take that to mean there was a history. But uh, um, for me, watching it, 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 to me, it felt like he'd, he'd been around for a while. Just he was a in. Dickensian yeah. street urchin living... Yeah. Literally, that's what it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> well, Megan, I do not. Uh, I I can't one hundred percent discount that theory because when Blair and he come in, they're singing "Happy Birthday" to Mrs. Garrett as they walk in. This cute little couple, all in sync with each other, and Mrs. Garrett hugs Blair, and there's a kiss on the cheek, and then uh, Cliff hugs Mrs. Garrett, and they kiss on the lips. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed. Yeah, I saw that. I, I was, I was like, like, oh, oh okay. Shit? <laughs> that was shocking. And yeah. I'm like, well, I guess he is very close to the family. Mm-hmm. If he is not this, this you know, uh, homeless child that she has secretly taken <laughs> in over the last five years and right. then finally introduced him to Blair. It's that thing of, okay, we've we've seen other attempts at quickly trying to create infrastructure and connection between the actors to sure. make us feel like oh yeah cliff's been around a while cliff's our buddy we like him he's we like love cliff. Him. yeah but kissing mrs garrett on the lips wow well there is a whole lot in this in this episode starting with quiche me you fool 
to <laughs> the taking of her to do Wedgwood, to the kiss on the lips, where I'm like, are y'all just bitches? Or does <laughs> Mrs. Garrett have a really rich social life that we don't know about? Because right now we've got a woman who does not have, as Alice did on the Brady Bunch, a Sam the Butcher that I have seen. No, at the moment and, she does not. And so everybody's like, ha ha, you're horny and alone. Is, <laughs> literally what, is literally what the entire episode feels like to me. Quiche me, you fool. I'm desperate. I'm a spinster. We're going to take you to where the men like grind on you, but you can't touch them. I'm Blair's boyfriend. I'm going to kiss you on the mouth and give you a rose, but you're going home alone. Click, click. You know, I'm just like, why are you all horrible? Get her a nice dinner. <laughs> well, buy her a man, a true sex worker, and what? give her exactly. a little. <laughs> I literally was like, I would be very over the, haha, Mrs. Garrett, look at all the sex you're not having that, <laughs> that this episode seems to be. I did not take it that way. And now that you present that case, I cannot see it in any other. They fashion. are literally throwing men she can't have and sex she isn't getting in her this entire episode. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to continue on here with, with thinking <laughs> that. And I'm, I'm deeply upset by what horrible people these girls are now. Man. They're, either, they're, they're either bitches or ignorant. One or the other. Yeah. <laughs> but or, I'm, I'm going with ignorant. Maybe both. Fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the actor who plays Cliff, who is so sweet and charming and cute. I mean, he's adorable. The actor's name is Woody Brown. And he is appearing on the Facts of Life fresh off of his one-season run on Flamingo Road. Oh, the short-lived right. TV show starring Morgan, Morgan Fairchild, Fairchild and Mark uh, Also something I would have been watching in the 80s over Facts of Life. Yes. <laughs> I loved my nighttime soaps. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of soaps... Uh, Woody Brown would go on to appear in eight episodes of General Hospital. It's, he has other little credits, but his career seems to end in 2002 as far as acting roles. Mm. So that was, you know, General Hospital was was not as not very recent. And um, it turns out, thank God, with all of this excessive familiarity that he brings with him, this is his first of five appearances on the show. Oh, that makes me happy. I actually wondered by the end of it. So, we have yeah. seen this level of familiarity, and then we never hear from the boy again. It's like he never existed. Cool. So this is a, a good thing. And uh, the other thing I have to talk about Woody Brown is <laughs> Woody Brown also has a credit in the movie The Accused. And oh. if you go back and look... He's the guy that she's kind okay. of out on the date with, and he's the one yep. that puts her on the pinball yep. machine before things get really bad. Gotcha. So right. it's like, ooh, there's a, there's some range, dude. Mm -hmm. Going from Blair's lovable stripper boyfriend to douchebag rapist. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think he should have gotten more work. Anyway. So, uh, in addition to referring to the free lunches that Mrs. Garrett has given him, he does say, like you said, oh, money is so tight and medical school is so expensive, but when I'm a doctor, I'll be rich. Mm -hmm. And we do have a Blair and Joe lesbian moment, Megan. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, it's certainly coded. Yeah. 
there's a there's a lot of that in this episode. Yeah. Uh, and the worst of it slash best of it is to come later. But at this point, Blair makes a joke and Cliff says, isn't she funny? And Blair says, isn't he cute? And Joe says, isn't this sickening? Mm -hmm. And this is one of so many moments where Joe is just not into her girlfriend being with another guy. Right, right. That's that's really what feels like is going on here. Uh, so he does say, thankfully, for the sake of the feasibility of the plot, he says, Blair won't tell me where they're taking you tonight, mm-hmm. Mrs. Garrett. But I've got to study all night anyway. So uh, we'll see you later. Mm-hmm. And uh, off he goes. And then the scene ends mostly with the girls talking about how completely smitten Blair is with Cliff. And... She is so smitten with him, clearly, that she forgets to brush her goddamn hair. <laughs> did you notice, Megan? I did not, because it, I, it, I did the not. Back, <laughs> the back of her hair is so desperately in need of brushing out, it, it is distracting to me. I Just did not to... catch it. <laughs> I'm glad. To, yeah, there you go. Uh, so, uh, and the other thing we need to talk about before we get to the uh, end of this scene is Mrs. Garrett says she needs to go up and get ready for her mystery night. Well, I have to admit, in the Edna's Edible set, in this home behind the shop set, I forgot that there was a doorway on the landing of the stairs. You go up, and there's a landing, and then there's a door to the left, uh-huh. and then you continue on the stairs, and then there's a door high, high up. Uh We have seen them go to the high, high up door and coming up and down. That's where the girl's bedroom is. Uh I didn't remember. Apparently, Mrs. Garrett's bedroom is the door off of that landing. Okay. Even though there is an episode earlier, episode three, so this is five episodes ago, where Mrs. Garrett was upset and ran up the stairs. She ran all the way up the stairs. So it's... In my brain, I was like, I don't know what that landing door goes to. But in my brain, it was like all the bedrooms are at the top of the stairs. In the future, you know, I'm going to be watching with my OCD Hawkeyes. Whenever Mrs. Garrett says, well, I'm going up to bed. I'm going to go see, check out my clothes in my room. I'm going to be watching. Which door is she going in? How many stairs is she climbing? So this may be the beginning of a uh, of an obsession, uh, which is good because I lost a lot of them when we left the Eastland years. So with that, we actually do a fairly quick cut over to Wedgwoods. And we honestly, this show typically dissolves from scene to scene. Mm -hmm. And in the past, we've had um, achingly, just painfully slow dissolves. And this was nice that we went in a hard cut straight over to Wedgwoods. I was going to say there were actually some things. And again, I haven't watched anything but the one that we did prior and this one. Uh, but there was a lot of camera stuff that I actually really liked in this episode. Yeah, um, me too. Yes. Uh, one of the things that I liked that they kept was, I, I assume it's when Mrs. Garrett is talking to Blair, but I, I can't remember because in the, in the frame, in the window behind them, Tootie is telling Natalie that she's got Mrs. Garrett's lipstick on her cheek and is helping her wipe the lipstick off her cheek. And I was fascinated by that because it wouldn't have been considered good sitcom TV at the time, 
but seeing them stay in character and have that little conversation mm -hmm. is the realest thing in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> because yes. it's two, two girls going, oh, you got a little lipstick on you. Okay, let me fix it. And they're not talking, but they're connected. Mm -hmm. And it was more fascinating for me to see them in that window than to watch what was happening in the foreground. And yeah. I love that it was left in. Oh, good. And it's the first time I would have... It's the first time I had seen something like that on this I, show. I hadn't even noticed. And the other thing that I love is when we are in Wedgwoods, clearly much of all of that is filmed with a handheld, almost documentary style. The yeah. angles are different. There's people going through the crowd. And I was like, never have I ever on a sitcom mm -hmm. of that era seen anything other than lock that camera down, everyone stay in frame. It yeah. was... It was uh, I'm going to use the word exciting just because it was so different from anything I had seen the way that show had been filmed before. You are the correct. End. And that is so completely uh, unusual for this show. They have never done anything like this. And the fact that it is the same director who has been directing it, mm -hmm. it was it was really, like you say, it was exciting. It was, it was a little thrilling. And the amount of energy it added to the scenes uh -huh. to have the camera moving more realistically, having the shake to it, and having it able to get so much closer to the action. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that is an absolute, that's a directorial win for the episode. And, I completely agree. Yeah, and it and it is, a, it is a standout because that is not something we typically do on this show. Um, so, um, I do need to point out, there's this magnificent generic disco club music playing in the background of the uh -huh. entire uh, scene. It's just amazing. It's awesome. And it's a club. Like you said, there's a lot of women more old than young. Not many bachelorette parties here. We're talking. Uh, and not... While I give credit to the uh, to the dancers, where I was like, "Oh, all right, they mixed they mix things up a little bit." Uh, not a single look of diversity amongst the female extras. Mm -hmm. They no. are super super Caucasian in all flavors. Yes. Yeah, it was like, well, uh, all right, <laughs> I yeah. guess. Yeah, I guess it's, no one I else's agree. mom needs a a night out. Okay. Yeah, well, let's people. continue that that thought. Is that were any of the employees non-white? The cop, because I thought it was ironic that the black man was dancing as a cop. Oh, in this day, uh, in on on this particular day in this particular year, I found that ironic, just mm. because of world events. Yeah, no, you you are right. I totally missed that. That yes, the the cop because we have a we have again such the stereotypes. We have the cop, Fire. the <laughs> fireman, the doctor, uh, the cowboy, the, the cowboy and the doctor. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like, yep, that's what you expect, and that's what you we go missed for. The airline pilot. I'm sure he was waiting to come on stage. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then and then probably the stockbroker, the guy in the suit with the oh. big. Glasses sure. the size of a dinner plate. So, uh, yes. Yeah. So, okay. So, we will go on record that there was, in this entire episode, one person of color. Right. <laughs> Just one of the dancers. Right. So, the waiters are all in tight black, the sort of tight black shiny pants. They are shirtless, but with suspenders and bow ties. It's a pretty classy looking setup. It really is. Mm. It looks nice. Uh, Joe 
in the course of their time there, she hasn't quite started yet, but Joe has a camera and is mm-hmm. snapping pictures. And I don't know what the protocol is. Granted, you know, nowadays things are different because everybody's got their got their cameras in their hand. And but the idea that <laughs> at the club snapping pictures and Joe of all people, it's like okay. Sure, she wasn't just yelling about a guy moving in on her girl, uh, <laughs> but um, I to me it looked extremely tacky, and I'm not sure if I can even say, oh, but back in those days it was okay. I don't think it was. I think it was something they put in the show and didn't really think about would that really happen. Probably, a- yeah, would that happen in a club? I I guess it was just purely to allow the setup for the joke later. Yes. That it that it 100% wasn't thought about, but it'll be like, oh, we need something for Tootie and Natalie to want. You just give Joe a camera, you yeah. know? Yeah, so. and we can we can hit it now, is that when they come back, Tootie and Natalie are like, how was it? We're, and, and they're like, were the guys naked? This is why the question of stripping versus, mm-hmm. you know, dancing and undressing versus the full Monty. And they were like, were they naked? And Joe puts down the camera and says, there, it's all in there for you. Great. And and what what is the joke that Natalie says? Uh, is the photo mat open at 2 a.m.? <laughs> Which I'm like, oh, they did get in late, even after yeah. they stormed out. <laughs> yes, exactly. Even though their night was cut short. Finally, the show begins. We start the show. And out comes the MC. And I shouted with glee when I saw that the MC was played by Philip Charles McKenzie. Did you recognize him? Uh, he was very familiar and I didn't know why. So you can please explain to me why I recognized him. Well, he's one of those character actors that appeared on a bajillion things in the okay. uh, 70s, more in the 80s and getting into the 90s. But then he transitioned into directing more. He's more of a director oh, okay. nowadays. But um, he was on a show on Fox called Open House no. that was with Alison LaPlaca, to whom I believe he is married And that is the sitcom that first introduced us to a young actress named Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, okay. In her first sitcom acting role. She was a stand-up. She was known for that. Uh, But he would go on to direct Roseanne, Frasier, Dharma, and Greg Suddenly, Susan, a lot of According to Jim, the Jim Belushi show. Yeah. But for me, as a gay man of a certain age... His big thing was he played the role of Donald on a show called Brothers that was on Showtime from 84 Mm -hmm. to 89. And that was literally, other than soap, it was the Mm -hmm. first sitcom that had openly gay characters on it. Okay. All right. And the premise of the show Brothers is it was like three brothers, working class brothers, and the baby, who was also super attractive, was also gay. And it was the brothers dealing with the gayness of their sibling and Philip Charles McKenzie was the best friend who was really flamboyant. Okay. So he was like the Jack to Will on the scale of flamboyancy on television. He was like more like a Jack McFarland. And um, so for me as a young teenage gay boy who happened to have Showtime it was like to watch a show with these where gayness was talked about, where he was mm. flamboyant, and um, it, it was it was delightful. So he holds a very special place in my heart as far as uh, that role. And um, and here's another little tidbit: he worked with Charlotte Ray before. 
Okay. He was on an episode of Different Strokes. Season oh, two, right, then. episode four, and the name of the episode was Mrs. Garrett's Romance. Okay. And at the time, Mrs. Garrett is going to night school, and she ends up befriending this younger man, and they start going out on dates, and he asks her to marry him. And when we finally meet the guy, it's him, Philip Charles McKenzie. Huh. So right. maybe this could be the same guy. Maybe he, he finally grew up and moved out of his mom's house. But it was pretty apparent that in proposing to her and wanting Mrs. Garrett to be his wife, he was he still lived at home with his mom. He was like, and now you can take care of me. He was just ah, looking for another mother figure. Gotcha. I will find the episode and post it on the webpage for the <laughs> for this show. So if you want to watch it. But anyhow, it'd be very fascinating if he eventually moved out of his mother's house and really branched out and ended up becoming a, an MC at a strip club. That would be a fun that, trajectory, wouldn't it? That clearly so, Mrs. Garrett did not on. recognize or care about. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was drunk on, yeah. on the alcohol uh, and all the, the, the D being swung yes. around. <laughs> so... Um, we have, uh, we have cleanliness issues. We have the fireman putting his hat on Mrs. Garrett. Uh, the cowboy dips her and kisses her also full on the lips. Mm -hmm. We didn't, we didn't care about disease or, you know, Purell certainly was not a thing in the eighties. That's uh, for sure. Uh, much, much like I said earlier on, on this day in this year, Certain things come across as ironic that wouldn't have phased us mm. at all yes. uh, any time earlier. Yes. Uh, also, at the end of the episode, if you notice, she's got the fireman's hat, the officer's hat on top of the fireman's hat, yes. and the cowboy hat in front of her. So clearly, everyone is only playing, uh, playing to Mrs. Garrett in the and entire room of clearly <laughs> hundreds of women. Only Mrs. Garrett is is getting this action. Although, uh, clearly, she's taking Blair for all she's worth, where she's like, give me money! And Blair's exactly. like, handing, And she doesn't even hand out a single. She's like waving 20 singles at the guy. Like, <laughs> so that is why she ended up with all the hats, is my opinion. She paid Blair's, for it. Blair, Blair funded her. <laughs> so, yes. Again, well, I... here's, here's men you can't be with. Ha ha, Mrs. Garrett. Here's 40 bucks you can spend for nothing. <laughs> so. This money can't even buy you love. Ha -ha. <laughs> exactly. Ha ha. You'll go home alone. <laughs> so uh, interesting thing. We're, we're, we're drawing very close to the end of the first act of the show. And uh, it's <laughs> like you had said, you saw it coming a mile away with, well, we're going to a strip club. And Cliff's saying, wow, money's really tight, but I got to study tonight. And... We have this moment where uh, the host, the MC, Philip Charles McKenzie, goes backstage and he's shooting the breeze with this uh, unidentified dancer sure. whose back of his head is all we can see. And he's like, oh, you should see this. There's this crazy old redhead out there screaming, hi-ho, silver. And he does his bad Mrs. Garrett impression. Mm -hmm. I'm also impressed with that. Anyhow, and he's like, so, you know, he's like, so it was almost kind of like, you know, as she's crazy, pay her some attention. You got a live one. Yeah. Anyhow, see you out on stage, Cliff. Right. 
and he stands up and starts doing his little dancing warm-ups, and we see it's Blair's boyfriend. Dum dum dum. I so, was amused at the uh, at the warm up where it was like, you you don't know your dance, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so. you're going over your moves, your choreography of uh, yeah. let's see exactly. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, see, it's going to be punch, thrust, and then, anyway, yeah. uh, yes. So that's where we ended. So we ended on this cliffhanger of oftentimes the bad thing happens, and then you have to go to commercial to see what the aftermath is. But right. this is this is a little less typical for SNL. For, pff, wow. <laughs> this is a little less typical for Facts of Life to set up that something bad is about to happen. Right. Tune in and see. Right. When it does. So uh, another little um, slightly off-brand thing about this episode. Uh, so we come back from commercial now, and we are introduced to Dr. Love, the exotic dancer in his scrubs who has the surgical mask and hat on and so takes those off. And we're we are just barely into his dance, when the mask comes off, he turns and Blair sees him and recognizes him and dramistically runs out of the club. Yeah, right. And if the dramistic uh, factor isn't high enough, his performance just stops. Like he can't even go on and fake it. Like, oh, my God, what has happened? Mm-hmm. And the other ladies are like, um, hello, is, is there not a show here? You who? But. That's how the scene ends. We don't really have yeah. any more aftermath. And uh, then we move on uh, back to the house. So interestingly, when they come into the house, Joe is the first one to speak and says, Blair, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And then she proceeds for the rest of the episode to take literally the exact opposite yes. point yes. of view. Which is highly puzzling, um, but but we'll get there. So Mrs. Garrett comes in and she's drunk, as we said. Tootie and Natalie come down. Joe gives them the camera, and then they tell the kids Cliff was one of the strippers. And it's like, oh my god! And as Blair is explaining to Tootie and Natalie, uh, Cliff comes in the door. I don't know mm-hmm. if they'd left the door open. Mrs. Garrett might have left the door open because of the drunk factor. Right. That's possible. So he just walks in, and Blair is saying, women were drooling all over him, and he was loving it, and they were touching him, and he was kissing them. And uh, so Cliff overhears Blair see, saying all of this as he walks into the room behind her unseen, mm-hmm. and then when they turn around and realize he's there, I think best line and best laugh of the whole episode where he says, you should have told me you were coming. I could have gotten you in for free. It's a great line. I actually wish he were snarkier with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he actually just says it real matter of fact. And I, yeah. I, I kind of wish he'd put a little layer on it, but yeah, but there was, but, a, there was a deadpan yeah. element. And yeah. when you start with, you should have told me you were coming you're not sure that the next line isn't going to be, you weren't supposed to see that. Right. Yeah. It, it was yeah. a little bit of a, of a misdirect. And I mean, and the beauty it's is a great line. It's an, it's because of the honesty of it. It's so true. It, he probably could have gotten him in for free. Yeah. And that's all he can think of to say because mm-hmm. of what's happening. So they decide to have a heart to heart. And he does say, so Blair, I've got something to tell you. 
to pay for medical school, I've taken a job as a dancer, and I hope it doesn't make a difference in our relationship. So Blair is like, yeah, when were you going to really tell me? Right. And honestly, on his part, that is really the only transgression here is just that Mm -hmm. if it's your job and it's what you do and you theoretically don't feel any shame about it, it really should have come up. Mm-hmm. particularly for how familiar and established they have made this character in regards mm-hmm. to the family. If he was a new boyfriend, if she had just been on two dates with him, right. yeah, that might not have come up. But no, they worked so, so hard to bring him into the fold. And uh, so that is that is definitely uh, where you could ding him for the situation. That is the only transgression, but I do, yes, it is the only transgression. Mm-hmm. I do like that they give him, uh, that they give him that little bit of an out when Blair is like, if I'd known, I never would have dated you. And he goes in, that's why I never told you. Yeah, agreed. You know, where it's like, oh, he really liked her. And I mean, yes, the lie is not okay. But they give him that barest out of why we haven't had this discussion yet. <laughs> yeah. And so. here's the other thing. We are theoretically only eight weeks into the semester. He could have mm-hmm. even said, I just started it a couple of weeks ago. Sure. And I didn't know if I would stick by it. Right. And, and that at least could have given it some sense of, well, yeah, I know you would have had a problem with it. And it's not that I kept it from you. It's just I was going to make sure it was going to stick. Right. That if it was going to work out with everything. But he does talk about working in one night. I can make as much as waiting on tables for 40 hours. I need that time to study. And I need that time for you. Which is so sweet. Yeah. But Blair acts like she just witnessed him publicly beheading infants. It's like the degree of... (laughs) And she even says, you are stripping. And she even says, stripping? Like, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, now, um, if we want to get into dramaturgy, which we probably don't, but here we go. Um, as, as we have established, yes, yeah, she's coming down hard on the strip angle. But we've established how awful her home life is how duplicitous her father is, she is probably freaking out mostly about the lie, but added into that is the perception that maybe he's being unfaithful to her, which Mm -hmm. she has seen her father be to her mother repeatedly. And so he is hitting all of her buttons of of a wretched home life with lies and sex and, and possible infidelity. All of that happening in one moment. So if you I, want a dramaturgy, please wow. hit every one of her triggers as to how relationships go bad in one thing. Megan Maroney, you are a genius. Her world is just crumbling right now. Yeah. And she does t- kind of tiptoe closer to exactly what you're saying, where he says, is it so awful? I don't go home with them. And she yeah. says, why not? You'd make a lot more money that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, I mean, she expects and, men to be unfaithful. Yeah. Because and of her, that's dad. her her trust issues. That's oh my god, this is this is genius, Megan. I never thought for all the deep dives I do, I'm more worried about fucking hairbrushes than important yeah. character stuff. Like I said, it's dramaturgy, but I'm like <laughs> her reaction is incorrect 
but I get where it's coming from for that yeah. character. Yeah, and that would be a great rewrite to have it come to the surface. Right. Or have her say, no, it's fine. That's that's clearly what you men do. That's yeah. what I'm used to. Yeah. I don't know that the writers went as deep as I did, oh, but I fuck no. easily rationalize where she was coming from. No. So... Or it, let me be a little more subtle, in, if, if you can put subtle in the word sitcom in the same sentence, <laughs> and have Fair. her say, you know, what kind of a future would we have if you keep stripping? What happens that first night that you come home late? I remember the first time my dad didn't come home and how sure. it devastated my mom. That's, uh, but then it's, then it's a dramedy and not exactly. a comedy. <laughs> exactly. So. But this is a Norman Lear show. They can go there sometimes. Oh, they can. They can. They can. Uh, but yeah, but the biggest thing is that, be, again, and we do live in a different time. This was a new thing. Mm -hmm. and But the fact is that she, the amount of stigma and shame, mm -hmm. and, and she says, what, what would happen if I introduced you to a friend of my mother's who says, oh, I know you, you're Dr. Love. It's also about keeping up appearances mm -hmm. based on her class. So there's an interesting dialogue choice here that I think I kind of like where Blair uh, has walked over to the door and the door I think was already open or it had closed mm -hmm. by anyhow. She has opened the door and basically physically indicates there's the door and it's open. Get out, so, yeah. Yeah, so there's not a, a verbal you need to leave, which I, of course, anytime you can go nonverbal is never a bad mm -hmm. thing. But then he starts to, he looks at the door and he kind of starts to leave and he stops and he says, so you know, where are we right now? Is this the point where I'm supposed to say, Blair, you're right, and I'm going to quit the job? Or Blair, you have every reason to hate me? Well, you don't. Mm -hmm. I should have told you. I know you're upset, and I'm sorry. And then she says, that's not good enough. And, mm -hmm. you know, but I think it's interesting for him to, to do a, I'm going to play out this argument. But the fact is, um, if if what we're leading to is me quitting the job, that's not something I'm going to commit to right now. Mm -hmm. And for me to say that you are justified in this treatment I'm giving, I'm getting from you, I'm not sure that that is that's the truth either. He does eventually leave, and leaves the door open. It's like, really, dude, it's two a.m. It what the fuck is wrong? It's super weird. <laughs> you noticed that too. Uh, clearly, that is one where I'm like, the director said that so she could look after him and not look at the closed door. Oh, okay. Clearly, that is a director choice yeah. so that oh, they can set up her her quandary as opposed to an actor choice. But there's also, my opinion. There's also such a stereotypical sitcom trope of she would go and I shut know. the door. Well, she would yeah. not maybe slam the door, but shut it behind him and then turn around and lean on the door and bury right. her face in her hands again. If that had happened, I would have been like, yep, that's what this show would do. They didn't want to move the camera. <laughs> they were like, just leave the door open. We'll do yeah. it all in one shot. But we already have the handheld. We could we could actually move on no, in. No, handheld. Never handheld in the house, only in the strip club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we move on to our final scene. It is uh, still in the home. We Again, we don't see the store. We're only in the home part of the set. Mrs. Garrett is at the table. Working the books, this is a new, often busy work thing that we get for Mrs. Garrett is her with a ledger of some sort. Yes. Now she's a businesswoman and she has, I think, the world's most gigantic adding machine yeah. in history. 
mm-hmm. in front of her with the with the paper tape and all that. And I will say, as the son of the office supply king of Brockton, Massachusetts, <laughs> this belongs in in his girl Friday with Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant. It is right old. It's an old ass prop. It's like what is happening? It but, came uh, with the old came with the old house. Gave yeah. It a, yeah, so <laughs> in the corner with the safe, yeah, and the corpse. Uh, so it's uh, we learn it has been three days, mm-hmm. and Blair is supposed to have gone somewhere, but it's like, well, I'm not going to this thing because I was supposed to go with Cliff. And Joe is like, good riddance to that creep. Joe has suddenly changed her tune, <laughs> right? And she's singing it loud and proud. Good lord. Mm-hmm harping on it really bad and mrs garrett is like joe it's been three days can't we give it a rest and joe does not give it a rest and mrs garrett thankfully as the voice of reason it's like you know joe yeah he performs for screaming women we were screaming women there yeah. that night we were a part of that whole group and there's and doesn't a throw out and you were taking pictures <laughs> no well, she fucking shut up. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. Have you been to the photo mat? Yeah, something like that would have been fantastic. <laughs> oh God, yes. You are hitting home runs here, as far as as far as rewrites stuff that I didn't catch. Uh. So, but Joe goes on to it gets it gets almost a little gaslighty, where Joe is like, uh, no, it, you you got rid of that guy. You needed to make a decision, and you made it. Mm-hmm. And then Blair is like, "Well, I'm I'm not sure about it now." I'm I basically Blair saying she misses it, and Joe says, "Blair, you're making me crazy. Either you hate the guy or you don't, and you hate the guy." Right. Like, wow. The the sense of if you are playing in the lesbianic overtones mm-hmm. that were not there when they wrote it. But this whole thing of how Joe is leaning hard into, no, you and this guy are not getting back together. We got him out of the picture and you're perfectly happy here alone with me. (laughs) And our two 15-year-old friends. (laughs) 16 or whatever the fuck age they are. (laughs) So, Mrs. Garrett. Joe, it's Blair's place to decide what the... Mrs. Garrett is intervening... Thankfully, right. on Blair's behalf, about look, this is fine. And um, Joe even says, "What would you do if you found out your boyfriend was a stripper?" Woman I do who doesn't that have moment. a boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she does that thing, that looking, smiling, and she's like, "Well," and she's like, "I'm thinking." And literally, it's that thing of. Wait a minute, you're telling me I'm dating a dude that's hot enough to be a dancer there? Fuck, I'm on board. Well, and I also love that because, uh, again, as much as I hate to admit it, I'm probably the age that Charlotte Ray was in this episode. But I'm like, there really does come a point in, in a person's life, I'm going to say in a woman's life, where you're like, yeah, shit that would have freaked me out at 18 doesn't even cause a blip on my radar now. Yes. <laughs> Where I'm just like, you were a porn star? Great. Okay. What do you know how to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. <laughs> Let's put some of this to use. You know, whatever. I mean, it's so I was actually delighted that they didn't 
A, it's correct to character, but I was delighted that they were like, the older woman's like, yeah, I don't have a problem with any of this at yeah. all. <laughs> this is really a minor thing. <laughs> so. Exactly. Especially when they know his character. He has mm-hmm. not lied about anything before, and he's doing it with a, well, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of trying to figure my life out, so I figured I would just start dancing and, you know, doing a little bit of porn and maybe some drugs in the back room right. until I kind of get on track and, you know, weigh my options. That's a whole yeah. other kettle of fish, kids. His, his, all of his logic as to why he's doing it is a 100% sound. Yes. You know, the time-saving, the money-saving the being available to be with Blair as well. I'm like, all of this is really good logic. Yeah. He's a smart man. <laughs> so. Agreed. And uh, so then Cliff shows up. And uh, then we get, and this is like literally in the last m- couple of minutes yeah. of this episode. It's like there is part of me kind of going, when are we going to wrap this shit up? And then Cliff comes in and we get... I think one of the most dissatisfying, lazy, cop-out endings. I don't know. Um, let me t- tell what happens, and then, Megan, I'll let you weigh in on it. Cliff comes in, and there's a sort of, hi, hi. And he says, I've been thinking about us. And Blair's like, me too. And he says, do you want to talk? And she says, yeah. And he holds out his hands, and she takes his hands. Freeze. Roll credits. What the fuck is that? What is that? We're about to have a difficult conversation. We're about to find out. And and the idea of, well, no, we're going to leave it up in the air as to what what this discussion might be. I'm like, what a fucking cop out. What did you think, Megan? Uh, You're going to hate me. I loved it. I thought it was great. I'm sorry. I thought it was great. Because the quandary was not whether she would accept it. The quandary was, can we discuss this? So her willingness to not be hardlined after three days. And you also get the impression that he has left her alone for three days. Yes. That this is not a guy who has been like, we got to talk, baby. That he Mm. has just been like, let me give you some time. Mm -hmm. And then he shows up. And was, you know, and is waiting for things to calm down um, because this is no world where people text each other all the time. Uh, <laughs> so we have established he's a good guy mm-hmm. and nothing other than this one lie. Nothing has gone against that. You've told me that he shows up in future episodes. Yeah. And I don't uh, remember. I haven't seen them in but, so long. I can't tell you what the eventual uh outcome of this is if they ever address it at all i don't know but the point is that he he sticks around in Mm. in canon um uh the breakthrough is more that blair who is normally as hard-lined as joe is Mm. is willing to listen so that's why i actually liked that ending because it meant she was like you're worth us talking through this and maybe we'll fix it or maybe we won't, which obviously they did. Yeah. But, but it's worth her listening. When, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I actually really liked it. It was, it was antithetical to sitcom to me, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. Here's the deal. Megan, you have been so right throughout this podcast. <laughs> 
and you have po- pointed out so many things. You are you are winning all around. So um, <laughs> as far as whether it is empirically good or bad, you're probably right, and it's probably empirically good. Uh, it, it, no, here's the thing. Opinion is opinion. Here is something I also liked about it. We have the guy who has clearly given her space that she has asked for. Mm-hmm. We have the guy who comes back and just says, I've been thinking about you and waits for her response. Mm-hmm. He doesn't come in and go, give me a chance. He doesn't come in and go, we need to fix this. He just states a fact. And it is written that he makes the offer holding out his hand she accepts his hand. It isn't after she says, I've been thinking about you too. And then they like suddenly kiss and it's all better. Yeah. It is, it is, he comes in and doesn't push her. He makes an offer. And if she didn't take his hand, you would figure that he would be like, you are a wonderful person and I'm sorry, this is over. And he would leave. So they've written him so fantastically non-toxic that her taking his hand actually works for me there's no kiss there's no we're back together now it's let's sit and talk about this like rational human beings and maybe we can fix this and maybe we can uh i've (laughs) got to say you i think you did turn me around on this one you convinced me that i think i think this ending is right and i'm not sure if you said okay david write your own ending which i usually do Uh i I don't know what i could write other than because like you said they are out of time there's, yeah. They can't have this conversation, so it's yeah. better that we just know they're going to have a conversation. Yeah, because if Blair said, um, it's okay, I can handle it, I've thought about it, let's be together, yay! Yeah, yeah. That, would be, that would be really... Be, the worst would be if, him sa- if he said, it's, you know what, Blair, I've been thinking about it, I'm going to quit the club, you're more important to me, that would have uh-huh. been horrible also. I would hate that too, because... Yeah. Yeah, I, so, so uh, I guess the homework then is, uh, is it ever mentioned again, or is there a throwaway line the next time he comes up, because you said you haven't seen those in a while, where he's like, whew, working at the diner takes a lot out of me, and you're like, all right, (laughs) he quit his job, and now he's working as a server, you know, or whatever. 70 hours this week, and I made 40 bucks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thanks, Blair. I wonder if maybe uh, the compromise is he can become a server at the club and still make a lot of money being oh. Ken, <laughs> where he's flirty. Maybe. Maybe. He won't make as much, but he's already still taking the bus. So we've established that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Man. <laughs> well, we are at the end of, of episode, Megan. I love the intellectual uh, <laughs> loveliness that you bring to it, your... Uh, you're, and I, we talked before about kind of your being so steeped in the nerd culture and in universes <laughs> and in canon. The fact that you use the word canon in describing this, I love so much. I mean, it is a spinoff from Different Strokes. There's a canon here. Oh, I, 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 I think the FOS, yeah. too, the Facts yeah. of Life Cinematic Universe. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. So, Megan, I'm going to send you on your way. And right. I hope this is not, this is number two. I hope that we have many more to come as we proceed down down this how, path. We've got how four many more, more seasons? Four more seasons. Good God in heaven. All right. That's, yeah. So, <laughs> so wow. Yes. All right. So, 
So thank you again, my darling. It was great to see you and talk with you. I can't wait to see you again in person. Smooches and goodbye. All right. Goodbye, my dear. And there you have it. That was Megan Maroney. I love that Megan really brought it this episode, her intelligence, her analytical skills, using words like dramaturgy and canon when talking about the facts of life. Oh my God, that was just amazing. I am so thrilled that she was able to come back to the show, and I certainly hope it is not the last time. One little follow-up is we were talking about how to pronounce the name of the writer of the show, and it turns out I found a YouTube video with him where he says his name, and he pronounces it Jim Gagan. So, there it is. I'll post the video. It's really interesting because it's him talking about his career, so it's a nice little video. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 5, Episode 9, Small But Dangerous. That is the Pamela Siegel, Pamela Adlon episode that I think I've been dreading, and I haven't watched it in a long time, but if memory serves, I think I really, really hate it. So, let's see if I'm right or I'm wrong. Tune in next week. And if you want to watch the episode, you can see it at dailymotion.com, and I did put the link in the show notes, and it is also on this episode's webpage. That's all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash facethefactspod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. Let's Face the Facts.